welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Uh, let's finish up Acts. Acts chapter 28 is where we are. And let me final, uh, summarize this uh, final chapter for you of what's been going on. You've, you've been with us along the way, so you know that, um, that Paul is making his way to Rome. He has been uh, told and promised by the Lord that the Lord will get him there. And through many trials and toils, the Lord uh, gets him to Rome. Well, he's not to Rome yet in the beginning of chapter 28. Mind you, they've, they've shipwrecked. They've landed, they made it safely to the beach in, in Malta. And so there on the island of Malta in the beginning of Acts chapter uh, 28, uh, still to this day, there's a bay on Malta, on the island of Malta in the Mediterranean called St. Paul's Bay. Perhaps that's where he landed. Paul gets to the island of Malta, and there he finds great favor with the people, but not before he helps build a fire because it's cold, it is damp, it is wet. And so Paul begins to help build a fire, and as he's gathering sticks, maybe you remember this story, he's bitten by a snake. Do you remember this? And the snake bites Paul, and it clings to him, and then all of of a sudden, they're waiting for Paul to die, and he doesn't die. And so they wonder what's going on here. They think uh, perhaps he's a, a murderer because he's been snake bitten, and now they think he's a god because he didn't die from the snake bites. And as Paul goes on, and they live on this island for a few short days, he gets very um, uh, he, he receives hospitality from the pagans that are there. Paul heals their sick, um, and they're very thankful for the ministry of Paul on that island. As he moves on, he finds fellow brothers and sisters along the way, and finally Paul makes it to Rome, where fellow brothers and sisters meet him, and there he does what the Lord called him to Rome to do. He testifies, that's the portion I read to you a second ago, he testifies about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jewish leaders there, and then we have this beautiful conclusion of Acts chapter 28, the conclusion of the book as a whole, that Paul for two years lived lived in Rome at his own expense. And I love that statement. He went about preaching the gospel with all boldness. This prisoner in chains did preach the gospel with all boldness and no hindrance. And the gospel continued to spread. As we begin this final chapter, this final sermon of Acts, I want to ask you a question. Here's the question. What is your problem? What is your problem? If you could fix one thing in your life, what would it be? What is that problem in your life that weighs you down? If you would have that one issue resolved, then you would feel, I'm finally free. What is your problem? What what do you think New Orleans' biggest problem is? You could name a few, maybe. If you could fix one thing in New Orleans, what would it be? Right now, perhaps it's hurricanes. Perhaps it's saltwater intrusion. Perhaps it's crime, flooding. How about those insurance rates? If you've renewed your homeowners this year, I would call that a problem. Um, perhaps it's education. Uh, if you're looking at New Orleans, so we're, we're, we're bringing it out. So we're going personal in the city that we're living in. What's our problem? If you think about the world's biggest problems, what would you list some of those? Now, whether you agree with these things or not, the UN lists these things as the world's biggest problem. Some of you might not agree with this. Climate change, wars, and military conflicts. You probably say yes to wars and military conflicts. We're seeing one right now. Water contamination, human rights violation, global health issues, poverty, children's poor access to health care, education and safety, access to food and hunger. If you just stop and think about it, all of that just in a few seconds... 
This world has a lot of problems, doesn't it? Our city has a lot of problems. You probably have a lot of problems personally, locally, and worldwide. There is no escaping problems. Paul had a lot of problems. He even talks about his personal problem, this thorn in the flesh that he had. Paul has a problem. He's in chains. Paul had a problem. He was on a ship as a prisoner. He was in a storm, and now he's shipwrecked on the island of Malta. Paul has a lot of problems that could perhaps leave him hindered of what God had called them to do. Problems can overwhelm us. They can hinder us. They can stifle us. They can quench us and discourage us. But I want to submit to you this morning, I want to go through several shifts in thinking that I believe that we need to have so that we can live with this example of Paul, that no matter what problems we might have, we can live with boldness, live without hindrance, even when you got a lot of problems. Even when our world has a lot of problems, even when our city has a lot of problems, can it be so that the Word of God can go forward with all boldness, all boldness, and without hindrance. The first thing that I want to challenge you with this morning is this first shift of thinking that I, I think, so this is kind of summing up in a way, perhaps you can think of more, but all of the book of Acts, so we're not necessarily going verse by verse, but we're going to draw from the book of, of chapter 28, but throughout the, the, the time that we've been in Acts, I want to challenge you with these things. Here's the first shift in thinking. We need to perhaps have a shift of thinking about all the problems we see to the greatest problem that we know. So we need to have a shift in thinking from all the problems that we see to the greatest problem that we know. Because when we understand what the biggest problem in all the world is, and you realize what that problem is, and you realize that that problem has been dealt with, perhaps you're following along with me now, and when you realize that problem has been dealt with, then you'll start to see all of your other problems start to maybe shrink down to size and even become opportunities rather than obstacles. Uh, Think about the Apostle Paul for a second. At the beginning of his introduction in Acts, we see that Paul thought the problem was Christians. Just as the Jews do here in Rome, they, you, you heard it there that we've heard bad things about this new sect. They're talking about Christianity. Paul thought the problem was Christians, and if he could just extinguish all the Christians there, then he would be all right. But what Paul realized on the road to Damascus was the Christians weren't the greatest problem, but he was the greatest problem. Here's what one author wrote. He said this, I don't have to watch the evening news to see that the world is bad. I only have to look at myself in the mirror. He said, I'm not browbeating here. I'm only saying that true change, true life-giving, God-honoring change has to start with the individual. He says this, he realized this, I was the very problem. I wanted to make a sign as he was protesting a problem in the world that I am the problem. Here's what he's saying there, the problem is sin and that we are sinners. And the problem of the greatest problem in all the world, so here's what we're getting out of the problem of sin, the greatest problem in all the world is lostness, is that people are living their lives and dying not knowing Christ. Here's some statistics about that. Over 3,000 people groups in all of the world have no missionary presence and likely no gospel access. They don't know the good news, that lostness, that sin has been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. That good news that we often take for granted, 
that made it to your ears as Paul continued to preach the gospel and that good news went from one person to the next and made it to your ears. Do you remember when the gospel made it to your ears? That's grace and all grace. Lostness is the world's greatest problem. Here's what the president of the International Mission Board says. He says, your church exists to solve the world's greatest problem. God's solution, he says, and this is absolutely right, is the gospel. It's the true story of Jesus' death and resurrection, and anyone who has faith in what he has done will be saved from the judgment to come, and heaven awaits them. He says this to churches, he challenges by saying this, you know the solution, and you know there is a problem, and that we have a solution. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in, dis- in the sons of disobedience. He said, we too all previously lived among them in our fle- fleshly desires. That was us. We were lost. And we're carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy... We were lost, but God found us. He came to seek and save the lost, who God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. And he says, brothers and sisters, you are saved by grace. And so the first shift I want us to challenge us with, so we don't get overwhelmed with the Signs of sin in our world, things like hunger and war and saltwater intrusions and all of those things that we struggle with, hurricanes hitting and all the personal problems we have in our lives. I want us to see is that's because we live in a broken world and God is putting that all back together again. Now to be certain, I don't want you to mistake here like those folks on the island of Malta did. I said it a second ago that when Paul was bitten with the snake, that this calamity came upon him, our inclination is to think perhaps he's a murderer. There's something wrong with him because this calamity, it's because of sin in your life that this calamity came upon you. The disciples struggled that in John chapter 9. Do you remember this? The man who was born blind, is, they asked Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? They equated every calamity that people dealt with in their lives as a result of personal sin in their lives. Now, certainly there may be things going on in your life because of consequences of sin, something you have done, but that's not always necessarily so. Some of our problems are just because we live in a world that's marred with sin. So this is a simple but profound shift. We have to realize that we live in a broken world. And in this world, you will have trouble. There will be problems in our city. There will be problems in our life. There will be problems in our world. But we know that the ultimate problem, the greatest problem, is lostness. And that has been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. And if that is, and that informs our mission of what we are to be doing. The second shift that I want you to see. So the first shift there is understanding that out of our, all of the problems in our world, the greatest problem is lostness. I think Paul understood that as he lived his life for the gospel. The second shift that I want to challenge you with 
if we are to live our lives, as, as Paul points out here, in a problematic world with all boldness and without hindrance and see the gospel spread, the second shift that I want to challenge you with is that we must move from being self-focused to kingdom-focused. Let me say that again, that we must move from being self-focused to kingdom-focused. I reminded you a second ago that Paul had a lot of problems that could have hindered him and could have quenched his boldness. If Paul was self-focused, he could have been quenched at any moment. Because often our lives tend to resolve, revolve around ourselves, our desires, our ambitions, our comforts. However, in Acts chapter 28, we're reminded of this shift in focus and the shift in focus that we've seen in Paul's life that despite his challenging circumstances, he chose to shift his attention from self-centeredness to God's kingdom. Do you notice when he went on the island of Malta, Paul had been through it. And where Paul was going was not favorable. He was going as a prisoner in chains to spend the rest of his life in prison. Paul could have easily felt sorry for himself at that point, but Paul had a shift in thinking that he would be kingdom-focused. And so do you notice what Paul did? He continued to minister to the folks. We're not told whether they believed or not in this moment, but we see that there's this man named uh, Publius who received us and he entertained us and was hospitable to us. And his father got sick with fever And Paul visited him, showed him the love of Christ. And Paul put his hands on him and healed him. And then the rest of the island came to him and he healed them of all of their diseases. That that Paul, here's what I'm trying to get across to you, that Paul was so kingdom focused. His eyes weren't just set on Rome, but his eyes were set on the internal city. So much so that he continued to minister no matter where the Lord had him. Even among the pagans on the island of Malta, Paul never stopped ministering to them and showing them the love of Christ. To heal the sick, to show them a sign that the curse has been reversed, the curse of sin that brings things like fever and sickness on this earth has been dealt with. Behold, God is making all these things new, and I want you to see the glories of the coming age. He never stopped ministering when he could have been self-focused. Paul was kingdom-focused. The writer of Hebrews describes people like this. He says this in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Listen to what he says. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies in flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. In this world, folks like that had great problems. They were kingdom-focused. So the Bible says that the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains. They hid in caves and holes in the grounds. These kingdom-focused people... And all of these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Therefore, the Bible says, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Here's the point, is they had a shift in thinking, a shift in perspective from being self-focused to kingdom-focused, so much so that they were focused on the eternal city, that one day all of our problems will be gone forever. And so they kept their eyes on Jesus. They endured their crosses. They endured their problems. They despised the shame, and the Lord will receive them. So we must realize these things. Out of all the problems in the world, the greatest problem of sin has been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ. There are still lost people that we need to be reaching with the gospel. Another shift that we just saw from being self-focused, as problems tend to do, to kingdom-focused. Here's the third shift that I want us to see. Where do I want to be? Where would I rather be? And where does God have me? Let me read that again. Where do I want to be? Or where would I rather be? Where would you rather be right now? Your mind's going somewhere. I would rather be somewhere else, perhaps. Another part of the country, another part of the world. Perhaps some of you in a, hunting in a deer stand or something or the other. Paul knew what his destination was. He knew that he would get to Rome And there he was on an island after a traumatic shipwreck. God had him there. So while he was there, he was living for Christ. He helps guide the ship. He helps build the fire. He helps heal the sick. He continued to serve even though he wasn't where God had planned for him to go yet. He kept serving where God had him. Here's what the Lord told the exiles in Babylon. Do you remember this in Jeremiah chapter 29? The exiles so desperately wanted to be back in Jerusalem. But the Lord said this, the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what the Lord says to them. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for when it thrives, 
you will thrive. Do you notice what the Lord tells the exiles? That's the city that I deported you to. Yes, it was because of your sin. Yes, because you worshiped idols. And yes, I will bring you back in Jerusalem. But for now, I have you in Babylon. So serve me well in Babylon. And increase and multiply. Seek the good of the city. Build houses. Live in them. Where would you rather be? And where does God have you? And you realize that God has you here. Even with the cost of insurance, you build houses. Even with the difficulty that we have in our own city, we continue to serve. We continue to seek its good. Why? Because God has us here. Maybe it's a job you don't want to be or a school you don't want to be in or you just want to be in the next stage of your life. But God has you there. Perhaps you're like Paul, you're on the island of Malta. God has you there, so serve the people there and make Christ known there. We have to have a shift in our thinking of longing for something else. Yes, we're longing for the better day. We're longing for heaven, but as we wait and as we journey, serve Christ along the way. Pursue the well-being of those around you. How? Tell them about Christ. Make Christ known because the greatest problem is lostness. The next shift, shift number four. Look for people, excuse me, looking for people to looking who God has placed around me. Here's what I mean by this. You're looking for a certain maybe type of people, a certain type of friend or a certain thing that you're looking for people to serve. You want to be around a certain kind of people. But God has placed certain people around you. Here's what I mean by this. And we're going to press into this in our next sermon series. We need to start looking at not only the place that we are and serve God there, but notice the people that God has put around you. Have you stopped to think about that for a minute? Not just who you're around and who you bump into, but who God ordains to be in your path day in and day out, week after week. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That the God places, whether it's at the gym or the restaurant or the grocery store, whatever it might be, there there are these, what some folks call these divine appointments where God puts people in your life and perhaps they're not the people you would expect to be in your life. Are you following with me? Perhaps it's at the doctor. Perhaps it's a nurse. I, I, I don't know. I would imagine if Paul would, would, were to trace out on his vision board who he envisioned preaching the gospel to is probably not the people and, and the pagans on the island of Malta after a shipwreck. But that's who God put there. Put, put, put there. And that's who God orchestrated for Paul to be there. So instead of being consumed by despair or frustration, Paul sees this opportunity to share the gospel with the locals. And this teaches us the importance of recognizing God's hand, not only in the big things, but in every situation of our life. And notice something else here, not just these divine appointments that Paul has with unbelievers that are still lost, but notice the power of relationships. Did you notice here as we went along, look at verse 14. So they set sail, they leave Malta, 
They're making their way to Rome. Look at verse 14. And there, as they came to the next city, as they kind of worked their way up to Rome, we found brothers. And we were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, look at this, maybe underline this. Paul thanked God, and he took courage. Never underestimate who God puts around you and the fact that he puts them there in order for you to be bold. Do you understand this? Do you think Paul could have been discouraged at this time, spending this time on the ship, spending this time on an island, wondering that perhaps he knows God's going to get there, but through all of these trials and toils, and there he lands, and then he sees brothers and sisters. Perhaps this is the feeling we should get when we pull up to church every Sunday morning. Those are my brothers and sisters, and I'm going to leave this place encouraged. I'm going to leave this place with great courage because I don't know about you, there's a lot of problems to fear in this world. There's a lot of things that cause us to dismay, but I'm around my brothers and sisters and they come meet me in the parking lot, they meet me in the fellowship hall, they meet me as I come in, and God put those people in my life in order to give me courage. Well, what about the other way around as you see someone coming up, are they going to leave this place? Oh my gosh, I ran into that person again and I just feel wiped. Are you going to be that person to strengthen them and encourage them in the faith? This gives Paul courage. We not only look for people or to use people or utilize people, but we look who has God placed around me. And these final two are perhaps self-explanatory as we've been walking through this. Last two shifts from surviving to mission. We must move from thinking of survival mode to living life on mission. Because even in our exhaustion, we're called to live life on mission. We've already noted how Paul remains on mission even on the journey. And now in Rome, Paul will continue to remain faithful to his calling. As I read at the beginning of this, that he called leaders together. He pleads his case. He pleads for them to believe about the good news of Jesus. Paul wasn't focused on surviving his imprisonment because he knew sin had to be dealt with that death had been dealt with once and for all, and so he no longer had death to fear. He knew the Lord would carry him along, so he was not focused on surviving. He was focused on his mission. Here's how Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 1. He says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, all the problems that I've had, has actually advanced the gospel. This is Philippians 1 now, verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord for my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. And he goes on to say, what does it matter? Only that in every way Christ is proclaimed. And then he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for me, perhaps you know this one. 
To live as Christ and to die as gain. If I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And he says, since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So you know that shift from just surviving his imprisonment to his imprisonment actually advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This final shift, making the most of every opportunity. Look at verse 23 of chapter 28. They appointed for Paul a day, and they came to his lodging. They wanted to hear about this good news, and so they all showed up. And listen to what it says. From morning till evening, So Paul has an opportunity. He has an opportunity to make Christ known from morning to evening, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. All day he makes the most of his opportunity. All day he expounded to them, testifying, listen to this, to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Do you see this fullness of Paul? All day, from morning to evening, in all of the scriptures, the law and the prophets. And then he goes on to say to Jew and Gentile, all day, all of his word for all the people. I want them all to know that Jesus is king. Wouldn't that be glorious of all of our lives? That people would know all day, every day that Jesus is king. One more shift that I want us to see. The final shift, a shift in confidence in ourself or confidence in our structure, whether that's personally or as a church, the size of our church or the the size of yourself, to the power of the gospel. Luke has recorded this throughout. Acts 6 7, the word of God spread. Acts 12 24. The word of God spread and multiplied. Acts 6, 5. The churches were strengthened in faith and grew numbers and grew in numbers daily. Acts 19, 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. What Paul knew above all else was the power of the gospel. No matter where he was, no matter what struggles he might have, no matter how big his influence was, no matter how, where he was, whether he was in prison or out of prison, wherever he was, Paul knew that the power was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? That our, prob- that our power is in none other than Jesus Christ and his gospel. There's a lot of problems, but the greatest problem is lostness, so we must be kingdom-focused. The problem isn't where we are, but seeing where God has us. The problem isn't who is around us, but seeing God's grace in who is around us. The problem isn't us trying to survive, but us remaining on task. The problem isn't more opportunities, but making the most of the ones God has given us. The problem isn't lack of power or resources or size or whatever it might be. The problem is that we must not lack in proclaiming the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of problems in this world. But we know what the main problem is, and we know the solution is Jesus. And we know that he leads us in triumphal procession.
And so may it be said of us at Riverside, and these Christians in River Ridge, no matter how long we might be here, in this place, in this time, in this moment, may we be found, Acts 28, 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what problems or struggles we might have, with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray to the Lord and ask Him that that would be so.